Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you are with us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, and we'll study through that in, in just a moment, the book of Philippians. We are uh, very excited and thankful to be able to introduce to you tonight Sarah Holt. And Sarah, if you'll stand, uh, Sarah is going to be our female intern this summer. And she is from Memphis. She is uh, finishing her junior year right now. And she is an elementary ed major at Fried Hardeman University. And we are thankful that she is willing to come and be with us. We have heard many great things about her and look forward to the way that she'll bless our lives here and our young people, especially our young ladies this summer. And we are thankful for her willingness to be here. Uh, those of you that were at the early worship this morning... Uh, we mentioned the fact that Evan Burns will be serving as an interim for the next six months in the area of our education ministry, and he was not here to stand, and so I'm going to ask him to stand to make sure. Uh, I'm sure that most of you remember him from last summer, but if you are new from last summer, that will be our interim uh, education minister. Evan comes to us from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, and has done many internships in summers working with churches. And of course, last summer did a tremendous job, a very mature young man that is a great minister for God. And we are thankful that he is here with us to help us as we go through this time of transition. We do want to keep in our prayers Miss Mary Lou Banta's family, uh, the uh, sudden death this weekend. And what a loss that it is for us as a church family, but also what a time of celebration. Uh, we all are living to pass from this earth as pilgrims here to live eternally with God. And by faith we rejoice in that passage for her. But nevertheless, it, it leaves uh, sadness in our heart and no doubt in her family's heart. And let's make sure that we continue in prayers. Let's make sure that we reach out and we serve this family and uh, every way that we can over the next few days. Do keep in mind that the Bibles, if you had signed up last week, the Bibles are in Nelson's Chronological Study Bible. And also, as you pick those up tonight, uh, you will see that there are also a type of bookmark that has the schedule for reading through this year, beginning at the book of Leviticus and in February the 15th. And if you're new and saying, hey, what is this about? This particular Bible, thanks to one of our members and also to our elders participating uh, in, in the belief that it's worth it to invest in getting people to read God's Word, this is available for $10. And I know many of you, when I announced that the first night, you had that sinking feeling, you looked over at your spouse, this happened. You looked over at your spouse as if it was disgust because many of you have already paid $44.95 for this Bible. And, and I know many of you have been reading it. And so uh, we are not buying a back shelf, back of the warehouse. This is one of Thomas Nelson's very best-selling Bibles right now. It's just come out. It's one of their hot ticket items. But more importantly than that, the value that it is financially, much more important than that, it is a desire to strengthen all of us in reading the Word together, studying some sermons together, and being a church that realizes that our spiritual diet is nothing but the Word of God. And so let's make sure that we invest a little bit of money, let's invest a lot of time, and let's invest our whole heart in the study of God's Word this year. As already mentioned, do keep in mind that Bible Class Emphasis Day is just around the corner. Pick up a postcard but start now creating a list. Who's five people that you'll invite? Begin praying for those five people. Go ahead and give them an invitation. Follow up with them. But even more than that, 
Who are five people that you invite, not just that one occasion, but that you will continue to be involved in their life, to make a difference in their life, to bring them to God? Who is it that you can reach out? This year, as we think about especially reaching out to our community, that shouldn't be done simply through organized programs. Thank goodness for them. It motivates us. It helps us do a lot of good at one time. But individually, we have responsibility. So who, who is it that you'll reach out to? And you'll be that voice for God. You'll be that hand that's reaching out for God. You'll be that heart that is compassionate to show them the love of God through your life. Two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I mentioned to you as we were studying through a sermon entitled about God is the star of Acts. And as we did that, we talked about the fact that if I were to ask you some of your favorite movies, many of you would think of a favorite movie based upon a lead character, a lead role, an actor, an actress. And you would probably think in your mind, I can't imagine that movie if they were not in it. It would not be my favorite movie if they were not in it. Can you imagine It's a Wonderful Life without Jimmy Stewart? It's one of those things that I'd say I probably wouldn't like the movie nearly as much. Think about this. You read through the book of Acts. What would the book of Acts be without God? It's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's not the apostles. It's God starring in the book of Acts. And so the question is, what can God do when he's the star of Peter's life? Read the book of Acts and see the difference that's made in the world. What can God do when he's the star of Paul's life? Read through the book of Acts and see the difference that Paul made. It wasn't because Paul was such an awesome individual. It was because he had an awesome and powerful God working into his life. What is it that you can do in your life, in your family, in your school, in your workplace? Unless we have had God starring in our life, we don't know what all we can do. So this evening, I want to ask you, is God starring in your life? Now, as we looked at that two Sunday mornings ago, we mentioned the fact that there are several passages that immediately come to mind in the book of Philippians that helps us put the nuts and bolts on that. In other words, if I were to say to you this evening, let's all leave here and let's allow God to star in our life this week. In other words, He's the lead character. We're simply the supporting role. We're the, we're the ones following him. We're the ones that we're building our life around him. It's a beautiful thought to say, I want God to start in my life. But how does that look? Does that translate? So you say, oh, I know how that's lived out. I know now how to go to the workplace. I know how to go to school and let God be the star of my life. I know how to go to my home tonight. I know how to deal with stress. I know how to deal with abundance. I know how to deal with loss. I know how to deal with life with God as a star. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take that lesson that was preached Sunday morning and come back now from the book of Philippians and put the practical teaching to that. In other words, what if God is the star of our life? What would that life look like? Open up to the book of Philippians. Philippians, the first chapter, that's probably on about 1,042 in their Bible that's found there in the pew. And I'd, I'd like for us to just pick out one passage, by the way, not all of them by any means in the book of Philippians, but one passage out of each chapter where God literally speaks of making a difference in the life of Paul as Paul writes this. Let's look at the second paragraph probably in your Bible. It's the first chapter. You notice there in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel. Notice this, from the first day until now, look at verse 6, 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, 
that he, that's talking about God, who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul writes, he loves these people dearly, and he writes and says, I have a prayer. I, I pray this prayer every time I remember you. I have this prayer that says, God, I want you to finish that good work that you have begun in those people at Philippi. Listen to this. Paul says God is doing something in their life. That right there shows us the humility of Paul. Because you remember who was the one that was actually the preacher at the beginning of the church there? You see, the reason that the study in Acts reminds me of this is because when you read this, and Paul says, I remember from the first day. You remember the first day that the church began in Philippi? Remember the book of Acts? Flip back with me, if you will. Let's go back to Acts, the 16th chapter. Acts, the 16th chapter. How did the church begin? Remember as we were to look in the second paragraph of your Bible in Acts 16, beginning about verse 6 and following, remember the Macedonia call? It was God who worked in the life of Paul to say, go. There's people in Macedonia. They want to hear. So the Macedonia call is given, and he goes. And when we go to verse 11, we begin a paragraph where he is going to find Lydia. And he sets down, and look in 14 and 15. And now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. The beginning of the church, it was by a woman who said, My heart's open. I want to hear the Word of God. I believe what the Word of God is asking me to do. Not just an intellectual belief, but a belief that moved her and her household into action. Notice now, we're talking about how God began the work in Philippi. Remember, that's how Paul said it. God begun the work in you. How did God begin the work in Lydia? He worked in a heart that said, I want to hear He worked in a heart that says, I believe, not just intellectually, I believe to the point that I am willing to change my life. I am willing to, here it is, obey. Someone says, what does a life look like if God is starring in it? It's an individual like Samuel that's willing to say, Lord, speak for your servant hears. It's an individual that says, not only do I believe, but I believe with conviction. I want to obey. You want to let God star in your life tonight? Say, I want to hear everything God wants me to do, and I'm willing to do it no matter what He asks. I will obey God. You remember that shortly after this, they were thrown into prison. You remember prison that the earth shook and that the Philippian jailer was so afraid that the prisoners were going to escape that he was going to take their life. And you remember they stopped him, and Paul then skipped down a little bit deeper into Acts, the 16th chapter. Notice as we begin reading in 31... He asked at the end of 30, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't even know Jesus Christ. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. In other words, he heard the word of the Lord and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all the family were baptized. Now notice what they rejoiced in in 34. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his house. 
Here's a man that's ready to commit suicide. He stopped. Is there any hope for me? What can I do to be saved? Do you want to hear the Word of God? Yes, I want to hear about Jesus Christ. He hears about Jesus. He believes. He was holding these people prisoner. It was his job, but he was holding these Christians prisoner. And by the end of the night, not only has he been baptized, but he is taking these prisoners that have been beaten with stripes on their back, and he's washing apparently the blood off of their back. What a turnaround. What a repentance. Now think again about Paul. Paul writes in the book of Philippians. He says, God has begun a good work in you. Friends, do you realize that to begin allowing God to work in our life is to say, God, I want to hear you. I believe you. I'm willing to obey you. But then we must finish We must finish that work, that work of God living in our life. Christianity has never been a sprint. It's never about have you started without considering are you willing to finish. I'd like for you to look with me. Go back to the text of the book of Philippians. And look back in Philippians. I love this how it ties into the second chapter in verse 13. Philippians, the second chapter in verse 13 We're going to go right to the punchline in 13, and then we're going to back up and see what led to that. Look, if you will, at verse 13, Philippians 2 and 13. Paul writes and says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do you see how Paul, again, I know he's not using this exact verbiage, but in a sense, Paul is saying, Hey, God wants to star in your life. God wants you to do His will. And He wants you to fulfill the pleasure or the will that He has for you in your life. And so for tonight's lesson, we could simply say, Paul is saying to them, God wants to be the star of your life. But then we ask that practical question. How do you let God be the star of your life? He's already mentioned God will begin and God will end it if you are willing to do your part. Well, again, what's our part? Now let's go back and read verse 12. Therefore, still in Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Underline that in the Bible. You have always obeyed. That's how we begin, allowing God to be the star of our life. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's there that he says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then he talks about in 14, to not complain or dispute, to live a blameless and a harmless life. And notice how we go into 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Do you see how if we take this idea of letting God star in our life and we back up in 13 and say, what led to God starring our life? Obey. And then we go after 13 and say, what led to God starring in our life? He says, it's those that hold fast the word of God. Friends, there's nothing mystical that we can't figure out about this. It's very simple. Individuals that allow God to star in their lives are individuals that say, God, here I am. I want to hear your word. I believe you. I will obey. 
Is God starring in your life? Let's go to the second chapter of Philippians and ask this question. Is Christ the director of your mind? We think about movies. They always have a director. The director points the way things are going to be set up. He points out the way things, scenes are going to look. Uh, how is it is going to be the, the feel of this scene? What are the scripts? What's going to be said? What's going to be changed? When we think about your mind, do you realize that when we say, I'm going to let God star in my life, we're also saying... We're also saying, I'm going to allow Christ to begin directing my mind. Let's look in Philippians, the second chapter, beginning at verse 2. In the middle of a sentence, but pick up in 2 where he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. As we think about verse 2, I'd like for you to think about unity. Now let's go to verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. As we think about verse 3, I'd like you to think about that word esteem. Do you esteem others? Now let's go to verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse 4, I'd like for you to think about the word interest. Now, all of this is brought around to verse 5. Let this mind, what mind is it? He's just described that mind. He's described the way the thinking is going to be changed. Let this mind be in you, which was also where? In Christ Jesus. Are you willing to have the mind of Christ as your mind? Are you willing to say, Lord, no longer am I going to think the way I would think from a fleshly, a selfish standpoint. I'm going to think the way you have taught me to think. I will let you correct me. I'll let you direct my mind. Well, what would that look like? I want you to think about it. We can think and live in the world, thinking as the world would think. Or, back to verse 2, we can be unified with believers that decide to think the way Christ thinks. Do you realize how important that is for us as a congregation? Surely all of us would place a huge value upon unity and harmony. And if you've ever been somewhere where that doesn't exist, you know the value of unity and harmony. Why or how is that created? The way that is created is when everybody says, I will start having God star in my life. No longer are my thoughts about me. No longer will I be the director of my thoughts from now on. Jesus Christ will direct my thoughts. What is that going to look like? We're going to start looking at other people and we're truly, we're not acting here, we're truly going to esteem them. I don't know which button to push, but I assure you, starting all the way from here around here, every one of us probably has some kind of characteristic in the life of somebody else that when we see that, it may be hard for us to value that person. But we need to do it. Not because of us, because of Christ taking over our mind. Can you esteem someone greater than you that has a much lesser education? Can you esteem someone greater than you that, has, that makes much less money or maybe much more money? Can you esteem someone greater that literally has pitiful social skills? Can you esteem someone greater that you feel like you have nothing in common with them? You fill in the blank. Whatever it is, the question is not you on your own. Now the question is, will you allow Christ to direct your thoughts and will you find value in every soul, every soul that you come in contact with? 
there's not a person in this room that you shouldn't be willing to serve. And there's not a person that lives in Mount Juliet that you and I shouldn't be willing to serve. And there is not a person on this planet that you and I should not be willing to serve. Not by our fleshly nature, but simply because Christ is directing our thoughts. That takes us as Christ directs our thoughts to verse 4, the interest. We truly have interest in what others have interest when we esteem them because if it is a concern to them, it's a concern to us. We rejoice with those that rejoice. Oh, I don't, I don't care about... Th- if they care about it, we care about it. Oh, I, I, it's a loss in their life, but it's no skin off my back. No, if it's a loss in their life, we feel the loss also. Why? Because Christ is directing our thoughts now. If we were to take the time to read on deeper into the next paragraph, we would see that humility is the very core of this kind of mindset where Jesus Christ, even though he was equal with God, came to this earth, humbled himself as a man, not just a man, but to become a servant, and not just become a servant, but to literally die upon the cross. And it's that kind of humility that builds the mindset that we have to have. Is Christ directing your thoughts? It'll show It'll show the way you live tomorrow at school. It'll show tomorrow the way you live at work, the way you dwell in your home. It's Christ, it's Christ directing your thoughts. If you will, go with me to Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter, is Christ producing your life. We think about a movie, and there has to be a producer. There has to be somebody that's going to finance this. They're going to be the backbone of this. If it's not for them, it's not going to happen. And so we think about who's going to be the producer of your life. You can try to make your own way in life, and it always always will be a flop. Or we can say, I want to allow God to produce my life. And let's look at Philippians 3 and 12. And notice as Paul writes here and he says, not that I have already attained. In other words, he's not in heaven yet. He hasn't received that ultimate prize. Or am already perfected. He hasn't had that final completion that when our bodies are resurrected from the grave and we're given a new body to be made more into the image of Jesus Christ, he says, I haven't had that yet. He's still on earth, in other words. So since he hasn't obtained that yet, what are you going to do, Paul? Notice the word press. I press on. In other words, I'm moving forward and I'm reaching out. Why? He says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. Hmm. Explain that one to somebody. Lay hold of which also Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What does that mean? I understand the part that Jesus has reached out and grabbed us. But what does that mean to you? If Jesus has laid hold of us, the question is, have we taken the same sacrifice the same intensity and laid hold of him. Someone says, well, wait a minute. Jesus gave it all on the cross. He gave his life. And you know what he expects of us? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus expects us to be willing to lay down our life for him. I love the way this is said in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I think the best and the quickest way I could explain this to you is another way this very same thing is taught using other words. Just back up a page or two in your Bible. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. It would be about 1039 in your pew Bible. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter... 
Paul begins verse 1 by saying, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. Again, it's a little bit wordy. Walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. All right. What did it cost for us to have the opportunity to walk the Christian life? It cost Jesus on the cross. No greater payment has ever been made for you and I to have the opportunity to live the Christian life. And so now he says, if that's what it costs for you and I to walk that way, now Jesus says, walk worthy of it. Friend, what does a life look like when an individual wakes up every morning and says, I realize Jesus has laid hold of me. In other words, that person is saying, I realize that Jesus gave his all for me to have the opportunity to live the Christian life today. So are we going to walk worthy of it? Can you imagine someone that's hired to be the star of a $50 million movie? And they come in on the set, and the first day on the set, they act as if it's a home video. Not serious at all won't even learn the lines, won't even try to to, uh, deliver the lines in, in a professional sort of way. And can you imagine, can you imagine a producer coming up and saying, do you realize the money we've invested in this? Do you realize the cost? Do you realize the sacrifice? You need to either get serious about this as we already are serious, or you need to get out. Paul here is writing Philippians. He's writing in Ephesians. He's writing trying to remind us if God is starring in our lives, we recognize the sacrifice that's been paid for you and I to be a Christian. Let me make this one statement and I'll move on and we'll bring this to a close. Back to that previous point, the mind that's humble. You know what I think our stumbling block is too oftentimes? I really think sometimes our stumbling block is we think that Christianity asks so much of us that we think we're the only ones sacrificing. Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian, but I hope God realizes all that I'm giving up to follow Him. And Paul is trying to shake us by the shoulders and say, what are you talking about? Do you realize all that's already been given by God for you to have the opportunity to say, I want to live the Christian life. But finally, finally, let's go back to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians, the fourth chapter, let's think about Christ strengthening our attitude. What's going to change in our life? When we become a Christian, God's starring in our life, our attitude is going to change. Look at verse 11, 12, and 13. And this is the fourth chapter. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. If you don't have that word underlined in your Bible here, I'd encourage you to underline it here. Because if you think a good attitude is just something somebody's born with, it's not. It's something that somebody has decided to allow God to live in their life and they have learned that over time. He's going to use that word twice here. Once in 11 and once in 12. Notice how he says it. For I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. And so he gives some examples. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Paul, how in the world have you learned to be content in all of that? How many of us here, let's start on these toes and let's work our way around. How many of us can say, I tell you what a life looks like when God is starring in it. Are you ready? Here's what a life looks like with God starring in it. They're going to be real hungry. 
and they're literally going to have physical losses in their life and they're going to suffer and they're going to look around at worldly people that abound and they don't seem to have the suffering and they don't seem to have the losses and that person that's over here trying to allow God to star in their life they're in need and their attitude is I'm content with that how can that be? So let's be honest. A lot of us think that if God's starring in our life, God's going to make sure that we never have hunger pains, deep losses that seem unfair compared to the world. And yet Paul says, it'll happen. I've experienced it. But I've learned to become content with those. How, Paul? Next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That attitude of contentment comes from an individual where God is starring in their life. Christ is directing their mind Christ is the producer of their life and they realize whatever sacrifice they make is nothing compared to the sacrifice that Christ has already made. And so whatever condition they find themselves in, they're content because they know the glory that is to come will be well worth the suffering that's here. They know that faithful Christians have already walked through suffering and been found faithful in the end and had that great reward. And they know Jesus Christ before them has suffered more than what they're suffering and remained faithful. The nuts and bolts. What is it? Point number one is to learn to obey. Point number two is to find a humble way of thinking. And points number three and four is to remember the price that's paid and we owe it to pay a lot ourselves. We'll never deserve it. But we must be willing to pay because it ought to change our mind to that of contentment. What does a life look like with God starring in it? That's Paul's glimpse in the book of Philippians. We're blessed to be in a congregation where we can look around at a lot of individuals that reflect what we've studied in Philippians. But as we extend this invitation, the question is, do you reflect what we've studied? If you've never become a Christian, I don't think anybody here that's a Christian would say, come because it's easy. We live the Christian life because it's best. Because it's eternal promises are grand. And simply because we love God and we realize that we have an enemy that hates us. Where do you fall in all that? Are you saved tonight? If not, why not? If you have become a Christian and somewhere along the way you've lost the way, why not tonight to be the night that you say, Farewell, Satan. I'm going back to Jesus. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.